Greetings and welcome to the Animal Wellness Podcast, the official podcast of Animal Wellness Action. Hi, I'm your host, Joseph Grove. On this show, we talk about animals and the people who care about them and have the ability to improve their lives by influencing culture and supporting pro-animal laws and regulations. To stay up to date with all of our news and information, subscribe to this podcast, receive our free newsletters and more, visit animalwellnessaction.org. I've got two of the founders, uh, the founder and the executive director of Animal Wellness Action with us. They will tell us a little bit about their group, what they're up to, uh, and then our goal will be to kind of take a look at 2019 in review and how that year has fared on a legislative front for animals across the country and in various states uh, across these United States. So uh, uh, one guest we have, and I'm super, super psyched to get to interact with him again, is Wayne Paselli. Uh, Wayne is the founder of Animal Wellness Action and president of the Center for a Humane Economy, a former president and CEO of the Humane Society of the United States and a founder of the Humane Society Legislative Fund. Uh, Wayne has been named by the Nonprofit Times seven times as one of the nation's top 50 nonprofit executives. And in 2005, he was named Executive of the Year. He's written two New York Times bestselling books, The Bond, Our Kinship with Animals and Our Call to Defend Them, and more recently, The Humane Economy, How Innovators and Enlightened Consumers Are Transforming the Lives of Animals. Wayne has led efforts to pass 1,500 state laws for animals, more than 100 federal laws and amendments, 30 ballot initiatives, and 500 corporate agreements. He is a graduate of Yale University, and gosh, Wayne, it sounds like you're doing your alma mater proud. <laughs> well, I'm passionate, as you are, Joe, about animal welfare. I've devoted my whole adult life to it, and it's something that stirs my, my, my soul. It hits me right in the heart, uh, but I also believe that reason and logic are on our side in advocating for animals. This is part of a society being good. Uh, to the least among us. And these animals uh, feel pain like we do. They suffer like we do. They have feelings and they have emotions. And we are the smartest species on the planet. And we should be smart enough to figure out ways for us to live our lives without you know, leaving a trail of animal victims in our wake. Yeah, well said, well said. Joining uh, Wayne and I is Marty Irby. He is the executive director of Animal Wellness Action. And he serves as his chief lobbyist in Washington, D.C., which is where he calls home. Irby, a lifelong horseman, worked in the U.S. House of Representatives for Congressman Ed Whitfield, serving as communications director and agriculture policy advisor. And he also served as the president of the Tennessee Walking Horse Breeders and Exhibitors Association, the breed registry established in 1935. Irby grew up in Mobile, Alabama, graduated from the University of South Alabama, and attended Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. Man, I'm with a couple of geniuses. It makes me feel kind of shabby about my little four-year degree from the University of Louisville. Marty, how are you today? Great, great, Joe. No, we're so thrilled to be here, both of us, I know, and, and talk about the issues in front of us. Um, I just want to thank you for all that you've done to help us get going and all of the great work you continue to do for animals. I know Wayne and I are both looking forward to a bright future for this new podcast and are very excited about things. Well, and it's, and it's a great way to kick it off with the two of you gentlemen on it uh, and to talk about what has been a very interesting 
year, I believe, uh, for animal welfare on the legislative front. Before we go there, uh, Wayne, tell us, since you're the founder, a little bit about Animal Wellness Action. What do you want? What are you going to do? How can people help? Well, one of the most important things, Joe, for animal welfare, and Marty and I talked about this when we kind of launched Animal Wellness Action in 2018, is that there is insufficient attention to public policy work in the animal protection movement. And people are rightly drawn to animals. And one of the first responses is, let me rescue animals, let me spay and neuter, let me shelter them. Those are great instincts because animals are in crisis and we need to come to their aid. But if we only do that sort of work and we don't devote proportional resources to public policy that prevents cruelty, we're going to be in a never-ending cycle of addressing um, animals in crisis. We'll be rescuing our way, you know, for centuries. So we've got to deal with animals in crisis, but we also have to shape the law, which is really, uh, you know, the law is designed to keep order in society, but it's also a reflection of our values and our sensibilities. And opposition to cruelty is now a widespread emotion and sentiment in our society. But the law has to speak because a small number of people can create havoc for animals. If 99% of us agree that dogfighting is wrong and just fewer than 1% engage in dogfighting, my God, they could victimize tens of thousands of dogs in fights. That's why we are a society of laws and rules. And the laws aren't designed to prescribe every behavior in our society, but they are designed to set a baseline standard to forbid certain actions, especially when it comes to animals that are cruel and inhumane. I founded Animal Wellness Action in 2018 to fight for animals in the legislative arena. And it's a sister organization to the Animal Wellness Foundation, which is a 501c3 that does rescue and relief. And, you know, one of the first and most important things I did was get Marty Irby involved, whom I had worked with at the Humane Society. And Marty is an incredible advocate for animal protection. And he shares my view that as animal advocates, we have to work to change federal, state, and local laws for animals and see that those laws are enforced. And that's exactly why uh, I founded Animal Wellness Action in 2018, and Marty is the first executive director. Yeah, well, congratulations to you on that, Marty, and and I've gotten to spend quite a bit of time with you. Marty, let me ask you this question. Uh, A lot seems to be happening uh, for the good of animals. We have not only victories we'll talk about in a minute on a legislative front, uh, but also it seems to me that the consumer world in the United States is gravitating ever more so towards better animal conditions. Which is leading which? Are, 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 is the consumer sentiment driving the legislative or Who's taking the charge on this, the public or the government? Well, I think they work hand in hand together, Joe. And, you know, one of the most important things to keep in mind, I think that many folks don't realize we have all of these wins today. We have tremendous victories on Capitol Hill and state legislatures in the corporate world. Uh, The governor of California just signed a fur ban into law. There's so many things that are advancing in our society. And I think the work that Wayne has done and many others for decades long before I came into this line of work, has really pushed the envelope and brought our society to a point where more and more people are becoming aware and conscious about what they eat, what they wear, and how that impacts the lives of animals. So I think it's an across-the-board movement uh, in every sector 
of our uh, legislative uh, work in the state uh, on the federal level and uh, again in the corporate world as well. Uh, Wayne, uh, Marty was just talking about um, what a good year it's been in many ways for legislative victories, Capitol Hill, California. In your opinion, what is the biggest victory uh, on the legislative front for animals so far out of 2019? Well, Joe, I'd have to say it's the Preventing Animal Cruelty and Torture Act, the PACT Act, which creates a federal anti-cruelty statute for the first time in our nation's 200-plus year history. Now, it's not complete because the president hasn't signed it yet, but it's nearly complete because both the House and the Senate have passed this legislation unanimously. I can't imagine that the president would do anything but allow it to uh, come into law or to sign it into law. So I think that really qualifies as as the top gain. We've got important statewide policies. California has been leading the way on this. California this year uh, passed a ban on selling any fur. It takes effect in a couple of years. It also banned any use of wild animals in traveling circuses. And it also built on a 1998 ballot initiative that I led uh, to stop the use of steel jaw like traps and other body gripping traps by banning all trapping, including with box traps, killing animals for commerce and fur or for recreation. I mean, that is, as a cluster, an incredible set of policies uh, passed by a, a state government. And, you know, a lot of things are in progress. Marty has been working, uh, and he's really the national authority on Tennessee walking horses and the mistreatment of walking horses uh, by a segment of trainers and owners in that industry. And we've got some great progress on that legislation, which I'm sure he'll tell you about this in this uh, podcast. Who started the the PACT Act? Uh, give me a little bit of a sense, Wayne, please, on uh, the legislative history of this. It's one of those laws you, you would think, gosh, I, I can't believe it's just now coming into law. You would think that that kind of thing would have been uh, you know, against the law on a federal level all along. So give me a little bit of a history of, of how the law started and who sponsored it, et cetera. Yeah. Well, it goes back, I think, Joe, to a couple of other foundational laws that really kind of gave me the idea to, to push for this legislation. One was a, a statute to stop the sale of videos depicting um, malicious acts of cruelty to animals. And uh, a number of years ago uh, with, my, with a former group, we did an investigation into what are called animal crush videos. These are videos that it's hard to believe that this even existed, but uh, women uh, typically in high-heeled shoes were stepping and crushing animals, uh, and people who were watching had some sort of prurient interest in this. They they had a sexual fetish um, in watching um, people crushing animals with their feet. And we did this investigation years ago and found 3,000 separately produced videos. There were 3,000 of these videos. And we worked on federal legislation led by uh, a longtime friend of mine. He retired just a few years ago from Congress, Elton Gallagher, a Republican from California, passed the crush video bill. There was a constitutional problem with it. It was declared unconstitutional, and then it was rewritten. Uh, Elton and I and others, uh, Senator John Kyle of Arizona, worked to get that uh, passed uh, with a strong constitutional basis for it. At the same time, we were working on upgrading our federal laws against animal fighting to stop dog fighting and cock fighting. Now, there's state anti-dog fighting and cock fighting laws, but you have many cases of interstate um, activity. You have foreign uh, sales, imports, exports of fighting animals. 
And we began to upgrade that law in 2002 and now have upgraded it five times. And as I was seeing this, I thought, my gosh, you know, here we have a federal law against animal fighting to complement the state bans on animal fighting. We also have a federal law that bans the sale of videos depicting illegal acts of cruelty. But what we don't have is a federal anti-cruelty statute that complements the state anti-cruelty statutes. That was the genesis of the PACT Act. Worked with colleagues to write that bill. Worked with uh, Senator Pat Toomey and Senator Dick Blumenthal. They were the original authors of the bill five years ago. Uh, then with Lamar Smith, a former Republican from Texas, and Ted Deutsch um, on the House bill. We passed it uh, twice in the Senate, uh, but one member of the House, a powerful member, former chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Bob Goodlatte, blocked that bill. When the Democrats flipped the House in 2018 and took over, the new chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Jerry Nadler of New York, uh, who's been a great friend to animals, co-sponsored the bill. That gave us a glide path in the House. It passed unanimously in the House um, uh, this fall. And the Senate took immediate action, passing it for the third time and sending it on to the president. And this, Joe, really marks between the animal fighting law, the crush video law, uh, and now the PACT Act, a tremendous fortification of our federal anti-cruelty legal framework. And that is an antecedent to active enforcement. I mean, if you, if you have uh, enforcement on the mind, want to stop cruelty, you have to have baseline statutes that forbid, you know, terrible conduct. That's what we've got. And now Animal Wellness Action is working on getting the enforcement uh, tuned up as well. Before I go back to Marty with a question, I, I just have to say that when you think you've heard of every kind of depravity there is, you're still surprised. I, I had never heard of the crush videos you describe. I, I can't, you know, I mean, I hate to sound naive, I guess, and, 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 and innocent, but it just never would have occurred to me that such a thing would have existed. I guess if you can imagine it or even if you can't imagine it, it exists somewhere in the universe. But that's, that's a new one on, on me. You wouldn't believe it until you see it. I mean, it's, it's almost hard to imagine. People say, no, how could that be? Right. And then you show them the videos. You know, the other thing just to, uh, that, that's, that's startling is bestiality. Right. You know, we found there was a website, it was shut down just a few months ago, which I think is another great example of our progress. There's a website called beastforum.com that had more than 1 million users. And this was for people with a sexual interest in animals. And they were transporting animals across state lines and conducting sexual acts with them. There was a million plus people on this website. So we have these these really uh, deviant subcultures in our society, cruel subcultures, and one of the important purposes of animal welfare groups is to shine a light on these terrible practices and then seek legislative remedies for the problems. Marty, I know you primarily through your work with, with Tennessee Walking Horses, uh, the big lick. I know this is very much uh, a passionate issue for you or an issue that you feel a great deal of passion for. What's going on with horses, the law, and you? Well, yes, thanks, Joe. You know, the Prevent All Soaring Tactics Act, which was first introduced in 2013, um, is a measure that we've been trying to get to a vote in the U.S. House and Senate for six years. Um, it's been very difficult. It's been a very long road. 
we had opposition from most all of the Tennessee and Kentucky delegation on the Republican side of the aisle. Uh, one in particular is now Senator and then Congresswoman Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee, who was the vice chair of the Committee of Jurisdiction that oversaw the past act in the House. And she pretty much just blocked the bill and kept it from coming to a vote. So late in the year last year, near the end of the previous Congress, uh, I took notice that the House Problem Solvers Caucus had a potential proposal for the new Congress that they wanted to try to implement. And that was the new rule that if you had 290 members of the House co-sponsor a piece of legislation, that represents two-thirds of the House, that's what's significant about that number, that the measure would automatically move to the House floor for a vote and avert the committee process where we had been stalled. Uh, of course, we felt because the Democrats had taken over the House um, in this new Congress that we were likely to get the bill to vote anyway, but we had to expedite that process when a, a, changer, uh, a chamber is changing leadership uh, it often slows things down. So uh, late in the last Congress, I made sure that we got to the 290 co-sponsor mark just to have that on the record so that when we entered the new Congress, folks would see we could hit that target. Uh, they did actually implement the new rule. And Wayne and I had uh, Priscilla Presley come earlier in the year. I know, Joe, you and I have talked with her before, and she's been such a tremendous advocate for the past act to end soaring because Elvis had Tennessee walking horses. So she came uh, to a function here in DC. Wayne, myself, Priscilla, and several of our other colleagues met with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer to develop a strategy to move the past act. Um, we had the bill soon introduced after we met with them by Congressman Kurt Schrader, Congressman Ted Yoho, Congressman Steve Cohen, Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky, and several, several others. So our strategy was to move the bill through this 290 co-sponsor process. Uh, I think it was the third bill that actually reached the 290 co-sponsor mark uh, sometime in May. Uh, so it took us most of the spring to hit that target. And that was a, a really great feat. I'm very proud of our work. And the work that everyone did, because that's not something that's easy to do in an entire two-year Congress, much less four months that we had to get that bill to that number. The new rule basically said there was a waiting period that a bill, after it had gotten the 290 co-sponsors, had to maintain those 290 co-sponsors. We went through that waiting period, and on July 25th of this year, the House voted by a recorded vote to pass the PAST Act. Uh, 333 to 96. We had every Democrat in the House vote in support of it. We had the majority of the Republicans by about four votes, I believe. You know, that strong uh, contingency from Kentucky and Tennessee uh, kept many of their colleagues from voting for it, which was unfortunate. But we still had 78% of the U.S. House that voted for the bill. Um, it would end soaring, uh, from my view and, and many others, which you know, I grew up in the world of, uh, in Tennessee, Alabama, Kentucky, and those parts of the country, uh, soaring really runs rampant. And I witnessed this as a child growing up. And uh, my father was a sore horse trainer uh, where they induced pain to horses' front feet via chemicals or sharp objects under the hooves to basically make them lift their legs higher. And the horse that lifts its legs the highest wins the prize. Um, it's a, a bit of a twisted culture, but 
Uh, I tried for many years to change things from within the industry in various positions. And as the president of the breed registry, where I, I met Wayne when I was president of the breed registry and, and we worked together and got to be friends and started working on trying to pass the past act. Um, so, you know, I'm very, very encouraged that we finally, after six years, got the bill through the house. Um, of course, we have an uphill battle in the U.S. Senate. We do have 50 co-sponsors on the bill there. It's led by the um, Republican senator from Idaho, Mike Crapo, along with the Democrat senator from Virginia, Mark Warner. And uh, having half the Senate is very significant. We just reached that mark a few weeks ago. Uh, we have had as many as 60 in the Senate as co-sponsors in the past. I think we can probably get close to that, 55 to 60. Um, and I know a lot of folks out there are trying to hit that 60 mark because it represents such a, a great percentage of the chamber. And, and when, uh, when do you expect that'll come up for a vote, Marty? Well, that's that's the issue. We're in a situation now. Uh, Marsha Blackburn, who was in the U.S. House, has moved over to the U.S. Senate and is on the Committee of Jurisdiction, the Commerce Committee there. She continues to be an obstacle for us. It's very, very unfortunate that she was elected, quite honestly. Um, so I don't know that we have a direct path forward at this time. We're working to try to uh, seek some guidance from the committee. I actually met with the sponsor's office yesterday and see if the committee of jurisdiction over there might be willing to hold a hearing along with some other equine legislation uh, as a next step to, to push things forward. You know, Marty has been a great advocate for this and having been steeped in the industry coming from the South, uh, he, he's been an incredible uh, ally on, on this subject and has led the efforts to get this, this legislation done in Congress. I think we're to the point where the industry recognizes that their industry is withering, that, that the public now sees a, a real stigma associated with this show horse industry. And I'm hoping the industry is going to come to the table and, and agree with us and stop this, uh, stop this cruel treatment of horses. One thing I wanted to add about the PAST Act was that in this Congress, we named the House bill in honor of my good friend who passed away last fall, U.S. Senator Joseph Tidings. Uh, Senator Tidings was 90 years old, and he authored the Horse Protection Act of 1970 that was designed to end soaring. Uh, he came back many years later to work to try to end soaring through other avenues and continued up until a few months before he died. So he was a really great man. We named the bill in his honor. Uh, he actually was very influential in the lives of both U.S. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer and U.S. Speaker Nancy Pelosi. And what gave us the idea was that they showed up at uh, Senator Tidings' memorial service last fall and uh, got myself and another colleague to thinking about it. And we were sitting across the table from each other and said, you know what, I think Senator Tidings would still like to help us from above. So I just wanted to add that because it was very significant and an important part of the bill's passage. And his family was tremendous. Uh, his grandson, Ben Tidings Smith, was uh, just tireless as far as helping us on so many fronts and carrying on the family torch. So I wanted to add that and thank them and all of the folks out there who have helped get that legislation to the point it is. That's a, that's a great detail, Marty. Thank you for, for sharing that. It, it goes, I think, to the heart of the heart of so many of the people who uh, get into these uh, movements um, who help support this kind of legislation. It truly is core, I think, to just a lot of closeness and, and love and connection. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. Um, 
Wayne, let's kick it back over to you. Uh, we're running a little bit short on our time. I wanted to ask you, other than uh, the PACT Act, uh, what have been some of your additional favorite victories for animals out of 2019? Well, gosh, you know, it's really been an incredible year. I mentioned the California legislation uh, that passed uh, those three bills, the fur sales ban, the circus ban, and a trapping ban are just three of, of many. A couple of states in the West uh, followed up on Prop 12, which was a California ballot initiative to stop the sale of eggs, pork, and veal from factory farms that confine the animals in extreme ways. And Oregon and Washington replicated uh, some of the provisions there, making the whole Pacific Coast uh, really, uh, in terms of a market of uh, more than 60 million people, a, a, a market that's not going to allow the sale of these extreme factory farm um, uh, products uh, in the coming years. Uh, there's a lot of stuff on all fronts on wildlife management issues, uh, banning wildlife killing contests in Arizona and New Mexico. There are policies on animal testing that have been advanced. I'm really hopeful. I think we've, we've got a lot behind us um, in terms of successes. That really sets us up for future successes because, you know, really what we're doing is just asking people to logically apply anti-cruelty principles in a legislative setting. Uh, Marty, same question for you. Well, I think one of the most important things is an issue that you and I worked together on, Joe, um, along with our colleague and friend, Catherine Callahan, was the state ban on bestiality uh, in the state of Kentucky. It was one of five states where that practice remained legal. And earlier this year, uh, Governor Matt Bevin signed that into law. So thank you for all of your great work on that. I think that also helped push PACT along in a way and just keeping that conversation going about the issue. So I know they're tied together and um, was very important work. We've also uh, had a lot of successes uh, on greyhound racing very recently in the state of Arkansas. The company that Wayne worked with very closely, Delaware North, uh, owned a casino and dog track there, and they announced that they would be phasing out the greyhound racing by the end of 2022, just a few months ago. What's significant about that is last year, uh, the Florida ballot measure that passed by 69% wiped out two-thirds of the greyhound racing industry in the country that left only five states. Now Arkansas is going to the wayside, and the company that owns that casino in Arkansas also owns two more in West Virginia, where recent polling has shown that 81% of the people there oppose greyhound racing. And we're hoping to go after those outlets next. And I, I really think greyhound racing will be wound up pretty soon and uh, a thing of the past for the United States of America. You set us up well then for the topic of our next podcast, and that is 2019 was was pretty daggone good. What do we need to do in 2020 uh, to keep up? Uh, the momentum. I hope the two of you will uh, come together again and let's get a good preview of what to expect next year. Of course, in Kentucky, one of the things that we, we look at quite a bit is what's going on in the horse racing industry. Uh, so many people, so many friends of mine, as I see on social media, are realizing, I think, that the Kentucky Derby is way more and, and way less fun uh, for a lot of uh, animals 
than uh, mint juleps and, and pretty hats and flowers. So that to me is one thing I hope we can talk about and I'm sure there are a number of other issues uh, coming up in the next legislative sessions uh, as we cross over into the new year. Thank you for listening to the Animal Wellness Podcast. Be sure to visit animalwellnessaction.org for all our news and information and to sign up for our news alerts. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, and we invite you to subscribe on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or Spotify. I'm your host, Joseph Grove, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Animal Wellness Podcast.